to get the commercial out of the way for Israel. So good to have you with us. Turn to Genesis, if you will, Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. We have been looking at the life of Jacob now. And uh, it's been quite a life. Uh, we, we need these lights off here. And Okay, good. That helps a little. Uh, one, one thing that we focused our attention upon last time, actually the last couple of weeks, in the life of Jacob can be summed up in a passage of Scripture most of you are familiar with. It says, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If someone sows to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit you shall reap life. And we looked at that in, in, in light of the life of, of Jacob, who, who began in a, in, a, in a household of, of favoritism and, and competition, and he just kind of carried that with him. First of all, he deceives his father, he deceives his, his brother and his father, and uh, of course he's in with his mother about all of that. So all of this comes into play. He arrives in Haran. He, he goes to Laban after he meets Rachel and realizes he's in love with Rachel and wants Rachel to be his wife. He goes to his uncle Laban who uh, prepares a wedding feast for him and, and Rachel. But instead of Rachel entering into the tent, we know it's Leah that goes in and Oh, how the complications begin. But we saw very clearly what, I, uh, what, what Jacob had sown, he was now reaping. So, so we, we've got uh, kind of a, a good foundation now about that aspect of, of, of our own lives, that we have to be very careful what we sow and where we sow. If we sow to the wind, we reap the whirlwind, you know. So, But now... God is still blessing because God promised Jacob that he would have descendants that could not be numbered and these descendants were also going to be uh, a part of these descendants of course were going to be a new nation it was going to be the nation of Israel so the sons are uh, we're seeing now come into play uh, but not as we might have expected as much as Jacob loved Rachel the first four sons came through Leah. And as we get into chapter 30, more sons come. Uh, but there's a, there's a spiritual issue we've got to deal with here. So let's get into verse uh, 1 of chapter 30 and we'll see what that issue is. It begins here, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. And said to Jacob, Give me children, or I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? This is not a happy household. And so she said, Here's my maid Bilhah, go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Rachel's got the answer. And then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, his wife, 
or concubine as it were. And Jacob went into her like a good obedient husband. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. And therefore she called his name Dan, which literally means judged. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. About a year or so later. And then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed, so she called his name Naphtali, which means my wrestlings. So, the Song of Solomon reminds us that the Jewish people never minimize the personal joys of marriage. But they also emphasize the responsibility of having children and building a God-fearing family. And Solomon should have known because he had a lot of family. A lot of wives and concubines. Not the rule. The exception. But Solomon, who not only wrote the Proverbs, or many of the Proverbs, as well as the book of Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon... Uh, obviously. He's also uh, credited with writing some psalms. And and, and Psalm 127, it is Solomon who writes, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. But in verse 3 he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, a blessing. That's why it was so hard for women of that time to be barren. The stigma of that barrenness was a judgment upon their lives. But even to this day, most devout Jews look upon parenthood as a stewardship before God. And this was especially true in the case of Jacob, whose descendants would multiply as promised to Abraham, and then, of course, to Jacob. To Abraham, of course, many, a, a few times. We, I, I consider this one time that the Lord spoke to him after he had obediently taken his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him as God had told him to sacrifice him there on Mount Moriah. And, of course, he was ready to sacrifice him and he put him on the, on the wood of, of that particular altar that he had built. And, and, of course, the Lord prevented him and provided the ram and all. But because of his obedience, the Lord says to him, Blessing, I will bless you and multiply, and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. But how similar when you think of what God had said to Jacob back in the wilderness as he's going from Beersheba to to Haran uh, to get away from Esau, but also then to go uh, to the house of his of his family, uh, and there he meets you know the Lord in that dream when he when he sees that stairway that staircase and that, and the angels up and down that that ladder as or stairway as it were, but he sees God. He meets God. God speaks to him, and he, and he says to him there in, in chapter 28, verse 14, Also your descendants, he says, shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. 
and in your seed and in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed and of course the the, the amazing statement there in your seed really singular when it when it talks about that singular seed it goes all the way back to Genesis 3:15 the promise of the seed of the woman the promise of Messiah who was to come and he was to come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and there is that great promise there in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed all the earth can be blessed because of Jesus Christ. You see. So that's something we, we can't take lightly here when we consider these blessings that God has given. So the Lord would honor Jacob by making him the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. But, but, but the fact that, the, that four different women were involved in building his family, that certainly would create for Jacob one problem after another. The man who had grown up in a divided and competitive home would himself create a divided and competitive family. Which is in fact the breeding ground for frustration. Hence the title of our message today. Frustration, fruitfulness and favor. What we see at the beginning of this particular chapter is this frustration. And part of that frustration we saw way back in Genesis 25. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's what Jacob grew in. That's the condition. That was the environment of Jacob's life. A father who loved his brother more than he loved Jacob. A mother who loved him more than his brother Esau. And there was competition. And there was scheming. And there was devising. And there were definitely problems. But that's the breeding ground. And the basis for frustration. So one basis for frustration is competitiveness. The greater sin, the greater problem was covetousness. Covetousness. Rachel had Jacob's love, but she was not content. She desired something else. She said, Give me children or else I die. What a demand. Leah had Jacob's children, but she was not content. She desired something else. She said, now my husband will love me. I've given him four children. Now he'll love me. She desired so much the attention, the affection, the love. Rachel desired what Leah had. Leah desired what Rachel had. And when you desire what someone else has, it is covetousness. We are warned repeatedly against covetousness in the Word of God. And I'm not going to go through every verse of Scripture about it. I'm going to actually start kind of nice with you, all right? Kind of enter into this understanding a little bit, uh, you know, from, from a standpoint of soft, you know, kind of just softly. For example, what I mean by that is, we're told in Hebrews 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. That's a nice statement, isn't it? If you're going to do anything in your life, in your conduct, let it be without covetousness. 
Be content with such things as you have. Isn't this encouraging? Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, the Lord has said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our Lord God. But it's also our Lord Jesus Christ, who said to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We're to be content. If we are content, we don't covet. So let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. If you have the Lord, you don't need anything else. I think of those great words. I know I've shared this recently with you, but, but David in Psalm 23, what did he say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which means very simply, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need because of Him. And if I have His presence with me, what else do I need? Right, let's get a little tougher now. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11. I'm speaking about those who are unbelievers in the previous verses of this chapter not really encouraging the, the church not to go to these people and share with them the truth about Jesus Christ and all. But interestingly enough, when he gets to this verse, he says, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Notice this list. Who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. That's quite a list to be in. If all you do is covet... If all you do is desire what someone else wants, but the Lord kind of takes it pretty serious when He lumps you with sexually immoral and idolaters and revilers and drunkards and extortioners. He says not even to eat with such a person. Who is anyone named a brother? We could spend time talking about that. Does that mean, you know, somebody calls himself a brother but really isn't or whatever? Let's just take for what it says. What is the company that he's keeping as a coveter, as a one who covets? Or what he says, what Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Now look at this list, fornication, uncleanness, which has something to do with sexual immorality, passion, which is lust, or what about evil desire, which is kind of a, a level above that? I mean, if less, less is bad enough, but there's another level. That goes deeper, doesn't it? But then he says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's a terrible sin. Because look at the company that it keeps. Covetousness, which is idolatry. To desire something that someone else has. Or you desire it because they have it and you want it also because you want to kind of keep up with what everybody else is doing. It's as much as if you're worshiping that over God. What you've done is you've placed that thing, object, person, in the place of God. That's the problem with covetousness. 
So consider then how this is illustrated in our text in Genesis. Rachel was not content with Jacob's love and was envious of Leah's ability to bear children. Because when she said, give me children or else I die, Jacob replied, hey, am I in the place of God? By the way, by this, Jacob meant that he could not overrule God's decision to withhold children from Rachel. But consider, if you will, a second meaning in what Jacob says. That Rachel was putting her desire for children in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? To withhold from you? It's God's place. In effect, for Rachel it was covetousness, which is idolatry. Now understand that covetousness and contentment are mutually exclusive. Uh, They cannot cancel each other out. In in essence, if you are covetous, you won't be content in your circumstances. If you are content in your circumstances, you won't be covetous. Which is better? If you are content in your circumstances, you won't be covetous. We are to conduct ourselves without covetousness. Learning to be content in our circumstances. But that hasn't happened in Rachel's life. It hasn't happened in Leah's life. And to some extent it hasn't happened in in Jacob's life yet either. either. So there's a lesson that uh, we want to kind of begin with. But it actually stems from what has previously happened in chapter 29. And that lesson is covetousness manifests itself when you misinterpret circumstances. Covetousness manifests itself when you misinterpret the circumstances that happen. In your life. In other words, people start rationalizing. You know, they, they get a blessing and they, they, they say, see, it's just the circumstance. It's the blessing. See, God, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm doing things right because God has blessed me with something. But don't forget, there's so many people today that have so much more than we do. And they're, they're not believers at all. Why does God bless them, see? So covetousness manifests itself when you misinterpret circumstances. And that, for example, let, let me give you an example with Leah. Leah seemed to have come to the place of contentment in the last chapter, remember? She started having children. And she started naming these children. The first two, you know, uh, Reuben and Simeon, giving the glory in, in essence to God. But there was something that, and we, and we gave her due for that. But I kept something a little quiet here. There was still in her statements some desire beyond that. I have these children now. Jacob will love me. See? So by the third child, Levi, Levi, she doesn't even mention God because she's just like us many times. We get started doing things for the Lord and we're just excited doing them. But then, you know, we get into, we, 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 we find a bump in the road, you know, and, and a speed bump in the, in, in the road. And then, you know, all of a sudden we just say, well, I got to figure this one out myself. And then we don't give God any credit or any glory, but we try to do things on our own. And then he convicts us through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and we, we get right. So then by her, her fourth child, which is Judah, she names him praise and she gives praise to the Lord, doesn't she? 
We think she's come to this place of contentment when she says, Now I will praise the Lord. And she names in Yehuda, Judah, praise. But as we enter into this new chapter, we find that this doesn't last long for Leah. It doesn't last long. Because she continued to covet Jacob's love, misinterpreting God's mercy as his agreement and blessing upon her desires. She focused only on the circumstances. Much as Rachel will also, thinking that her outward success was what mattered. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But circumstances are not alone. They're not a good guide. We need counsel from God's Word. And we need confirmation through waiting upon the Lord. So that we can truly say what God has done in a circumstance is truly His blessing. Remember, Leah continued to covet the affection of Jacob. But she said, oh, these children, that's going to give it to, give it to me. It's going, to, it's going to make it great. She didn't have confirmation from God's word. She didn't see God's counsel, in essence. So that's the point of covetousness manifesting itself when you misinterpret circumstances. Now, as we get into this chapter, there's another issue. That covetousness manifests itself when you manipulate circumstances. Now, that's where we are here in, in, in this chapter. Covetousness manifests itself when you manipulate circumstances. So, let's go back and just read verses 1 through 8. I'll comment along the way as we go. Now, when Ch- uh, Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Underline the word envied in your Bibles. Envy. What? She desired what someone else had. She envied her sister and, he, and she said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now what a demand. She's frustrated with her life. But her frustration leads to another frustration, and that's in verse 2, where Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. Oh, by the way, doesn't Jacob love Rachel more than anyone? But yet he's angry with her. And probably showed her that anger. Woman. That face. His anger is aroused against Rachel. He said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Am I the one? So we see the frustration in him. Ah, but Rachel has figured it out. She must have heard the story of Jacob's grandmother, Sarah. Because she said, here is my maid Bilhah, go in to her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. I'll explain that phrase in just a moment. And then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged my case. 
Understand how she's looking just at the circumstance. God has just my case and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. He judged me, vindicated me in other words. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Again, this was after about a year. And obviously, because Bilhah is now his concubine or wife, in, in a legal sense, because of Rachel. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and indeed I have prevailed. What does that sound like to you? Back to the competitive attitude, back to the competitive spirit as it were. So she called his name Naphtali, my wrestlings. All born in frustration. Frustrated family. That make for a good reality program on TV nowadays. They got them all, don't they? Here it is, a frustrated family. Rachel was frustrated with Jacob. Now, obviously, the fault was not with Jacob. I mean, at least physically, he certainly was fertile, as it were. But Rachel, folks, listen, Rachel was offering, actually, was offering spiritual commentary here. Spiritual commentary. She was saying that her husband was spiritually deficient. Now, Jacob may have had his spiritual faults, but we really can't say that he wasn't pleading to God on his wife's behalf. Much like Isaac had pleaded before God on, on Rebekah's behalf when Rebekah was herself barren. And, 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 you know, think about this for a moment. Who are we to judge people when they say that they're praying for something? Or even if they're not saying it. You know, that's got to be between them and the Lord. But didn't the Lord himself say that we're to enter into our closet when we need to pray? And how many times we do that because the Lord says, go into your prayer closet and pray, and you go and pray, and then somebody accuses you of not praying. Isn't that something? You're not praying for me. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord said. So it just shows the frustration because you haven't taken this to the Lord. There's still the issue of coveting, coveting things that don't belong to you, and yet you want things to just fall into place for you. We have to be very careful about that. So that frustration in Rachel now leads to Jacob's frustration. And I mean, he's frustrated with Rachel. And yes, I know that sometimes those of you that love each other very much, you can get frustrated and angry with each other. Be very careful, though. I mean, because, you know, when you think about what it is that Jacob is telling telling Rachel, I mean, what she didn't need was a lesson on theology and gynecology. Well, that's what he was giving her. Who am I to be in the place of God to withhold from you the fruit of your womb? What she needed was compassion. His counsel may have been correct. But his communication of said counsel and his countenance in saying it was carnal and fleshly and certainly not spiritual. That word anger in our text is what makes that clear to us. What was it that Paul told us? Be angry and sin not. (laughs) 
How can you be angry and not sin? We call it a righteous anger, as it were. Angry at sin, angry at the way the enemy plays us and, and plays sin into our lives. We should be angry at that, but not sin by charging anyone, you know, in the flesh. Because what did Paul teach us in Ephesians chapter 6? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this age. But we are reminded in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 is that when we come to, to the unity of faith and the knowledge, faith and of the knowledge of the, uh, of the Son of God, uh, we are to come to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the perfect man but a complete man? We are being completed every day by our, by our love and understanding of the Word of God and, 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 and of the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are to come to that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to grow into the image of Christ each and every day. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. Children, you know, they think very impressionable. Children will be tossed here and there by what they hear because they think everybody's telling the truth. That's the problem with our society and that's the problem in the church today. When we do not preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Do you know that in the house of Jacob there was every wind of doctrine going on at that time? No, we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to do it Sarah's way. Here's my maid. Go into her. Okay. Never was it at that point that Jacob becomes spiritual enough. Really, he was spiritual deficient in that. Well, that was a wind of doctrine because it wasn't the right doctrine. By the trickery of men. Man, we've been being tricked all along by Jacob and, and Esau, and, uh, or uh, Jacob to Isaac and Esau, and Laban and, and Leah to Jacob. A lot of trickery going on. The cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, Rebecca helping Isaac out. Here, put this sheepskin on, and you know. Here's what they missed. But speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth because the Lord has placed his love in your heart for one another. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Will your wives sometimes do things that you don't like? Sometimes. But you can love them. When you speak and present a proper countenance. The word angry says, the, the, the word anger in, in Jacob was, was saying it was not just how he, what he said, but how he said it and what he looked like when he said it. That's not Jesus. You have not so learned Christ that way. We have learned Christ in the love of Christ who gave himself for us, who took upon himself our sins, who took our punishment, took our shame 
for us. Now, from the text that we've read so far, two things stand out of note. First of all, that phrase, bearing a child on my knees, refers to the legal adoption of any children at that time, in this case, birthed by the maid Bilhah and placed into the lap of the wife at birth. So, obviously, in this particular birth, Rachel was there, ready to receive the child as the child is born and placed into her lap to say that she is now the legal mother of this child. So that, that's the understanding there. Secondly, the second thing of note is, <laughs> I think I've referred to it already, but no one is willing to learn from Sarah's bad example in giving her maid Hagar to Abraham. And we wonder, why is all of this being allowed? Let, let me just give you this one statement, and I'll say it a couple of times. This is the lesson. Because God permits a thing doesn't mean He prefers it. Because God permits a thing doesn't mean that He prefers it. Because God permits a thing doesn't mean that He prefers it. You see... We sometimes mistake God's mercy for His leading. That goes back to misinterpreting circumstances. We sometimes mistake God's mercy for His leading. And just think in the life of Rachel. She's not content. She's coveting what Leah had. And so she manipulates her circumstances to satisfy her desires. The names that she chose for Bilhah's boys is enough to convince us that she was driven by covetousness. I mean, the word translated judge in our text, which is the meaning of the name Dan, can mean either condemnation or vindication. The context indicates vindication. Rachel felt that God was vindicating her cause by giving this son through her maid. But you must understand that Rachel was not the first, nor will she be the last, who thinks that God is on their side because of outward success. Look at how I'm prospering. Must be, must be God. And yet, how are you prospering? The world may judge everything on the basis of outward success, but the Lord judges success on the basis of obedience to Him. That's how He judges success. Not on how much we have, how much we've gained, how much we've acquired and accumulated in this life. It is how obedient we've been to the Lord. There's a lot of disobedience in this story. Secondly, the name given to Bilhah's uh, second child, Naphtali, which means my wrestling, is now to be considered. Rachel's struggles with her sister were, were, were involved in the name of this child. She erroneously thought that she obtained victory over her sister in having this son through Bilhah. And that's kind of crazy. I mean, it's somewhat of a sleazy view of victory. Why? Because this type of immorality, as we know, polygamy and the, and the polygamous relationships that have been in this all, was never going to bring true victory. 
Yes, it brought children. And yes, God would turn it all into the twelve sons of, 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 of Jacob who will become the sons, the twelve sons of Israel. And they will become the basis for the nation of Israel. And what that should do is encourage us because what it says is he took a lot of sinners, he took a lot of sin, and he took a lot of all of this stuff. And on that, he took the base things of the world, as Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians. And the lowest things of this world, all you got to do is look in the mirror. I do every day and I say, oh, that's pretty base. And that God takes us and uses us so that he would receive all the glory. That he will get all the glory. That he will get all the honor. That he will get all the praise because he is worthy of it. But that immorality, you can't, you can't use that as justification. So here's the lesson. When God withholds some desired blessing from your life, it can be to give you a better understanding of the place that He ought to hold in your life. I want to say that again. When God withholds some desired blessing from your life, it can be to give you a greater understanding of the place that He ought to hold in your life. That is why covetousness is so bad. Because all of a sudden we're desiring something, we want that something because it's going to put us in another league, it's going to, it's going to put us in, 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 in a better uh, light in the eyes of other people, in the eyes of man, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, what, whatever it is, God is out of the way, you see. Will that thing that you are desiring take the place where God is to be enthroned? For whatever thing it is, whatever it is. You know, somebody asked me, you know, earlier about, you know, about well, you know, I'm, I, I, is, is it okay? I mean, I, I have a really bad car, and I really think I really need a new car, so I'm kind of desiring a new car. Is that covetousness? I said, no. I said, you know, if your car breaks down, get yourself another car. But it's when we're trying to get a car to keep up with somebody else that's got this, you know, really neat thing, you know, and you just desire because he's, oh, that's got to be my car. It's got to be uh, uh, drooling all over the place, you know. It's got to be, it's got to be, you know, 11 speed and it's got to have a big engine and I, and I got to look good in it. I got to look real good in it. We got a problem, you see, when it comes to covetousness. I mean, if you need a car, you know, you, desire, you, 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 know, you take it to the Lord, the Lord opens the door and we give you a new car. You got to pay for it still. Don't forget that. But there's not a problem there. But isn't it a great thing to be desiring the things of the Lord? Because when we desire the things of the Lord, that's not covetousness. That's letting God just bless you. And trusting that God's going to bless you with the things that you need. So, again, don't get, don't get so much involved in desiring something that will eventually take the place of God in your life. That's covetousness. And covetousness, which is idolatry, because idolatry is putting something in the place of God. So all of that goes, to, it goes for Rachel and Jacob and Leah and me and you. And Paul tells us generally that all that happened in the Old Testament was for our benefit. It was for our exhortation and, 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 and uh, admonishment. For example, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. 
Now, I know that this part, when you read it, it's talking about, you know, things that we, we learned from Moses and out in the wilderness and the children of Israel there. But, but still, in a general sense, this is applying to this passage too. That all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, for our admonition, correction, for, for, for a warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're we're, we're so near to the coming of Christ. This is important today. This is important right now. Because Jesus can come at any moment. And we ought not to be covetous when He comes. Well, we need to move on very quickly here. We've moved from frustration to fruitfulness. And there's a lot of fruitfulness in this chapter. I say that of the bearing of children, okay? So let, let's read verses 9 to 13. When Leah saw that uh, she had stopped bearing, by the way, it's not just fruitfulness. We've got to go back to a little bit of competitiveness here too. Because when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, uh, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Oh, you did that? Well, I'm going to do it too. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. What does that tell you? There goes Jacob again. And then Leah said, a troop comes. Literally, this great fortune comes to me like a troop. And, and so she called his name Gad, which is what that means. And, and Leah's made Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher, which means blessed and happy. Now, according to the laws and the customs of the land at that time, it was lawful to have multiple wives and to take concubines for the purpose of producing children. May I say to you now, it no longer is lawful. It hasn't been for a long time. It is no longer lawful to do that. And it hasn't been from the... By the way, it hasn't been from the very beginning... Because the Lord established His decree and standard early on. He established it in Genesis chapter 2 when He said that a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall cleave to his wife and the two... Oh, by the way, let's go back. A man, man, male, shall leave his father and mother who are male and female and cleave to his wife who is female. That's the standard. And the two shall become one flesh. That's the only way it can be. The two shall become one flesh. That's the standard. The man's been breaking that standard after the fall for a long time. And then even after the flood for a long time. The fact of the matter is God never changed. God never changed and His law never changed. God never changed. We think that today, somehow, God has, you know, kind of softened a little bit. And that He's he's just kind of, well, you know, everybody's kind of doing their own thing nowadays, so maybe we need to kind of soften the law here and there. And then they just, you know, everybody just do what you, you know. No, that's not God. The Bible is very clear. God is immutable, which means God never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, 
the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. What changed? Man changed. And God simply condescended to human weakness, to the hardness of men's hearts. But from the beginning it was not so. As a matter of fact, those are the words that Jesus had to use when people brought him, you know, to test him. They brought him the situation about divorce in Matthew chapter 19. Why did Moses say? Well, Moses didn't say it was God that actually said, but Jesus kind of, he said, from the beginning it was not so. And then he clarified that by giving us what it says in Genesis to say, here's the standard. Jesus stated it, and we should believe it and trust it. That's the standard. Man's weak. But because of the heart of man, because of the hardness of men's heart, there is things like divorce and the allowance of certain things. But with that in mind, we see another effect of covetousness, and we've got to move on. Covetousness manifests itself when you mimic circumstances. Covetousness manifests itself when you mimic circumstances. I, I suppose we could also say that their, their competitive spirit assisted in this action. Leah mimicked her sister's choice, giving her maid Zilpah to Jacob as Rachel had given her maid Bilhah to him as well. But Leah first made a wrong assumption. She made a wrong assumption. She thought that she could no longer bear children, yet she bore three more children later. She did not trust the Lord. Like sometimes we don't trust the Lord. And we get impatient. And we get frustrated. And in our impatience, in our, in our frustration, we act carnally and fleshly. So she copied her sister's a- sinful action, which reminds us that sin influences. Sin can influence just as much as holy spiritual living influences. We are to live holy lives in the scriptures. It tells us that. We are to live holy lives separate from the world and separated unto the Lord. We are to be an influence of Christ. But if your sin is more important to you, that sin is going to influence someone else. Which would you rather do? Influence spiritually or influence sinfully? So that's what's happening here. Zilpah, Zilpah's first child uh, born for Leah's lap was, was named Gad, which literally means good fortune has come like a troop. Zilpah's second son was named Asher, which means blessed and happy. And you might say that Leah's contentment was based on her statement, I am happy, but as is the case with many people today, her happiness was dependent upon happenings and not just upon the fact that God was present. I mean, it was not the joy of the Lord, and as you see in a moment, it did not bring her lasting contentment. We are told in in, in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, happiness is based upon circumstances. But joy, no matter what circumstances we have, we can have joy. We can have the joy of the Lord when we are going through trials, and we can have the joy of the Lord in our triumphs. We can have joy of the Lord in our valleys, and we can have joy of the Lord in, our, in, you know, in, in the peaks of our lives. 
Uh, we, we can have the joy of the Lord when we have nothing and when we have everything. We are to rejoice in the Lord because He said, I am with you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the way we should understand this. But Leah was more concerned with the opinions of others rather than that of her Lord because she said, oh, now the daughters, of the, uh, the, the daughters will call me blessed. I mean, she had a real image problem, didn't she? From the very beginning. What were we told about Leah? She had the gentle eye or the delicate eyes. I mean, it was just a nice way of saying she was ugly. I suppose because Rachel was so beautiful. Now, she probably wasn't that ugly. But the fact of the matter is, she wasn't as pretty as Rachel. And, and that was brought out, uh, you know, a few times earlier on. And, and you know, we, I, I, I kind of did this... this uh, 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 internet search, you know, and I, I just typed in Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And then I, I went to images because I want to see what, you know, if there were any images about these three together. And you know what the funny thing was? There were so many caricatures, you know, drawings, drawings of people where there was one guy in the middle, of course, it was Jacob, and then one beautiful woman on one side and one really ugly woman on the other. That's how people are seeing this, you know. I mean, when, when, when people start doing that to you, I mean, it's like, man, I'll take anything. I'll take any blessing. You know, I can get. The daughters will call me blessed. As long as they don't see my face, I don't know. They'll call me blessed. But here's the problem. The problem is that when we depend upon the opinions of others, we forget that people are fickle. One day you'll have this opinion, tomorrow you'll have another. People are fickle. Sometimes they'll tell you what you want to hear, but they don't believe it. But I can tell you this, God will always tell you what He believes, and He always will love you, and He'll always see you as beautiful. So it's His opinion that matters. It's His truth that matters. And we need to come back to His truth every time. Because others cannot satisfy as our God can. Y'all know this verse, don't you? Philippians 4.19 And my God, Paul says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I love that statement because Paul says, my God, are you confident enough to tell people my God can supply all your need? Are you confident enough? Well, you can only be confident if he is your God. And because you are content in whatever state you're in. And you know that God will supply all your need, no matter what that need is. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now some of you are old enough to remember this phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Right? Any Joneses here? Okay. Keeping up with the Joneses. Well, I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, which means, you know, well, what they have, we should get. But keeping up with the Joneses is just the most common way that we manifest covetousness. Gosh, I didn't hear any amens on that. Keeping up with the Joneses is just the most common way that we manifest covetousness. We're just trying to imitate what others have in our neighborhoods, in our blocks, in our streets. But who are we to imitate? Who are we to imitate? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He's not really pointing to himself other than the fact that he is saying, 
Imitate me. But remember, I'm, I'm just imitating Jesus. Now that takes confidence to say. Follow me, because I'm following Jesus. Not because of what I have. Because I can have something in this life and tomorrow I don't have it anymore. And God does bless us, doesn't He? The things that we have today, we have because God gives it to us. But with that comes the responsibility of stewardship. Are you being good stewards with what God has given you in your life? So do you see the, 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 the issue of, you know, it's not following people for what they have. It is following Christ for what He is and who He is in your life. And that He's the, really the only way for us to live. Paul says, imitate me, just as I also imitate Jesus. He says in Hebrews 6.12 that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Look to the lives of those saints that are just, you know, they're, they're not living outlandishly. They're just living by faith, and yet they're the joyous, the most joyous, the most happy people that we know because they trust in the Lord. They're not trusting in circumstances. They're not trusting in others. They're just trusting in Jesus. So that's who we're to imitate. But we've got to finish. And uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, so let's do this. Now we've got to go from fruitfulness to favor because God does show favor. Even when we wouldn't. <laughs> uh, look at verse 14. It says, Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest, and he found mandrakes in the field. Now Reuben, of course, is Leah's first son. He's, older, he's a little older now. And he goes into, into the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. Now, mandrakes, it was a, it was a root plant that on it had these uh, fruits that were called love apples in the Hebrew. That's what they call them in the Hebrew, love apples. And the, the fact was that back then they, they considered these love apples to be aphrodisiacs as well as something to cure the barren woman to have children. So, so That's really important to understand in this story. The, it was an aphrodisiac, yes, but it was also something that was considered to be a help to a barren woman to finally have children. Okay, so you have to understand that. So here he goes, he gets in the field, and he finds these mandrakes, and he brought them to his mother Leah. Now, that's an interesting thing, because remember that Leah considered herself to be barren now after the four children that she had. She hadn't had any of her own. That's why she gave Zilpah to, to Jacob. So in a sense, maybe the son said, well, you know, Mom, I know that you're a little frustrated about not giving birth. Maybe this will help. <laughs> Just speculation, but... Nonetheless, notice what happens at the end. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, we all know something. Rachel's still barren. But notice what Leah says to Rachel. She said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Stop! Wait a minute. Who was the wedding feast for? Rachel and Jacob. Who kept Rachel out? Laban and Leah. Who went into the tent? Leah. Whoa. But she says, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? We could also interpret that in this way. You've taken away my husband because he has all the affection and I have none of it. 
or you have all the affection of him or from him and I have none of it. So what she said was, would you take away my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, well, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Let's bargain. Let's make a deal. Huh. So when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and he said, she said to him, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. Come, Jacob. All right. But here's a really astounding thing. God listened to Leah. Yeah, I mean, picture my jaw on the floor. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, which means reward or wages. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. It it makes you think that she might have snuck a couple of mandrakes in from the ones she gave to Rachel. But no. Well, let's go back. Leah conceived again, bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. What is that? Now I'll get what I want. She's still coveting Jacob's affections and love. So she called his name Zebulun, which means dwelling. Now we'll have a dwelling together. We'll dwell together. Kind of. So afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah or Dina. But then notice this, then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. Some of us are sitting here and saying, I'd have given those girls nothing. Right? They are acting so bad, so they're misbehaving so badly. I'd give them nothing. And yet God listened to Leah and God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb and, and she conceived and bore a son Rachel and, and said God has taken away my reproach so she called his name Yosef and said the Lord shall add to me another son the name Yosef means to add another well One more issue with covetousness here. Covetousness manifests itself when you meddle with circumstances. (laughs) Covetousness manifests itself when you meddle with circumstances. The mandrakes are the clearest single expression of the covetousness of these two sisters. You see, Rachel coveted what Leah had. Leah coveted what Rachel had. And each one was willing to sacrifice for what they coveted. But if there is something that we need to understand about all of this, it is verse 17. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. It is extremely important to note that God did not condone Leah's methods, but he had compassion on her misery. God did not condone Leah's methods. Because her methods were carnal. But his compassions 
are marvelous. God's compassions are marvelous. Thank the Lord that He knows the end from the beginning and will bless even in the midst of our spiritual struggles. We are sometimes too quick to judge other people. Why did God bless that person, man? They're just stinky. They're much more sinful than than I am. Be careful how you judge others. And be careful how God chooses to bless others. Has God not already blessed you? If, if, if you do not receive another thing in this, in this existence, in this life, have you not been blessed to know that you have treasures in heaven? But we're very quick to judge other people. That's why it's amazing to me that God listened to Lamb and remembered Rachel. Oh, by the way, as for meddling, because, you know, sometimes meddling, which, which is what Rachel did. She meddled into, her, into Leah's family situation. It was Reuben who brought her these mandrakes. And Rachel stuck her head in and said, hey, give me those, some of those mandrakes. Well, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business. You know, why is it that we sometimes just want to jump into everybody's business? Try to help everybody out? Don't you think we ought to be trusting the Lord? Now, if we're asked, that's a different matter. Somebody asks us, can you you kind of help me with a little counsel here? But we're just quick to... I I think we watch too much of... uh, 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 secular TV nowadays because there's so much of that going on you know there's all kinds of opinion opinionated shows here and there and even the news programs nowadays they tell you listen uh, uh, Twitter us and tell us what you think I don't want to know what other people think because they're stupid I mean for the most part think about this world and the way they're thinking about things because God is not involved in any of it you know if God is not involved in any of their opinions it's stupid I don't want to know what other people think. I already know what they think. They're not thinking straight unless they know Jesus. But, any, but if you mention Jesus in any of your opinions, guess what they do? They want to get you out because they think you're crazy. Do you understand what kind of world we're living in? So mind your own business. And work with your own hands as the apostles have commanded us and the Lord. Anyway, there's meddling. We took care of that. So finally, there's favor. It was God's favor shown to Rachel, just as it was shown to Leah, in a sense. But it was God's favor shown to Rachel in her receiving the desire of her heart, her own son from her own womb, because God opens wombs. Now we can debate or argue whether Rachel was still not content by naming her son Yosef, which means the Lord shall add another. And thinking that, you know, well, I, I'm not content with this one, I want more. No, you know, we can argue that because also it might represent that she really was just showing her faith. God's opened my womb now, Lord, I'm ready for another. I mean, it's all in the perspective, you see. Uh, but she will have another son, by the way, but at a very high cost. We'll see that later in the life of her son, Benjamin, when he's born. But uh, most of you know what happened then. Let me close very quickly with this. 
I'll give you a statement, passage of scripture, and a statement. Let's not let covetousness cause us to miss out on contentment. Let's not let covetousness cause us to miss out on contentment. You remember what we saw in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, before that, Paul establishes the fact that he is content. And he can say what he said in verse 19 because of this. Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He is establishing for us the context of the next verse, but understand the context. Paul has learned how to be with nothing and how to have everything. He has learned to be hungry, and he has learned to be full, and in both cases to be content. He has learned to be suffering need while also relishing the blessings of God. Now the context is set for this. I can do all things. Whether empty or full, I can do all things. Whether hungry or full, I can do all things. Whether suffering or in great health and in great prosperity, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't take this verse out of context. Because a lot of people do. I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. I can do this and that. I can become this and I can become that. I can do... It's all about you. No, no, no. It's about Christ who strengthens you. That's the context. If you lack tomorrow, what you have today, is Jesus still, is Jesus not still your Lord? Is Jesus not still your Savior, your Messiah? your Redeemer, if you lose it all, is He still not on the throne? Answer me! Okay. So you got me going here. Silence kills. (laughs) Let me leave you with this thought. Covetousness is setting your affections on what you don't have. Let's learn this lesson today. Covetousness is setting your affections on what you don't have. Contentment is setting your affections on what you do have. Whatever you have, you can be content. And whatever you don't have, you can be content. Because God knows what's best for you and for me. If I don't have something, praise the Lord. It might be the best thing for me. You understand that part? We sometimes think, boy, I can do much better in what I, you know, if I have this. That's possible. But maybe not. Maybe that's why you don't have it. Because God said you don't need it. You got me. You got me. So, we'll pick up where we leave off today. But as we prepare to pray and, and leave here now, I, I do have to read this. I read it in the last chapter, in the last chapter, in the last uh, uh, service. 
And that is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, set your affections on things above. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Isn't that a wonderful promise? So, as we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ, we can be content in whatever state we're in. I hope we've learned that lesson by looking at the lives of Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank you and bless you now for this opportunity to be challenged by living out our understanding of your word. I do truly pray, Lord, that we have been able... I pray that we've been able, Lord God, to receive the understanding of this through the power of your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us and encourage us in these issues today. I pray, Father, for those hearts that are here today that... By your work, their hearts have been pricked and challenged, as I hope all of us have, truly. Because if we examine ourselves, Lord, we would really see that there is that, that struggle every day, the desires of the things of this world, or the desires for the things that others have whether it be in possessions or whether it be in, in reputation, status, 